This is Secrets to Win Big, your roadmap to sustained growth. Brought to you by Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango, top brand growth driver and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. Find him at zenmango.com. And now, here's your host, Arjun Sen. Welcome to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen. Hi, I'm Arjun. You know, I always love to win, but I have found in the corporate world, in the business, when you win big, that puts you in the sustained path to win over a longer period of time. Now that's real sweet. In this podcast, I get an opportunity to talk to leaders from all walks of life all over the world. And to me, that is very important because none of our journeys are the same. We have different starting points, different endpoints, and we all have different preferences of paths. So in that spirit today, I'm really excited to welcome my VIP guest, Kevin Eikenberry. Kevin is a leadership expert and best-selling author. You know, all of us claim to be leadership experts, but what is unique about Kevin is he is the chief potential officer at Kevin Eikenberry Group, a consultant that has been helping companies and individuals since 1993. And 1993, I know, is a very special year because my daughter was born in 1993 and she's 27 years old, which means, you know, there's something going on that Kevin is adding value to sustain in this for this long and adding the value, which made me very curious about Kevin. His specialties include leadership, teams and teamwork, organization, culture and facilitating change. Kevin has learned and gained his expertise working with everyone from Fortune 500 companies to small businesses. His very impressive clients include American Red Cross, Chevron Phillips, Chemical Company, John Deere, Purdue University, Sears Canada, Southwest Airlines, and US Marine Corps. And the thing that fascinated me is the breadth of big brands. And I really had to talk to this incredible human being. Kevin, welcome to Secrets to Win Big. Man, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, your daughter is 27. My son is now 29, just turned 29. And so, uh, yeah, I, I had to laugh when you said he's been doing this a long time because, yeah, I have been doing it a long time. <laughs> and you know, we all understand and know that there are all these facts that most small businesses don't last more than five years. With the world changing, even after five years, it's not that we earn a tenure. It's like always you have to reinvent and reposition yourself and compete. But I want to start somewhere at the very beginning of your journey. You know, looking, doing a little research on you, you grew up in a farm in Michigan. And you learned some of your most important leadership lessons while you were working with your dad. What a cool place to start. Let's go there, Kevin. Take me back a little bit of fond memories about your dad. What were some of the cool things you learned in the farm in Michigan? Well, you know, we had a farm, we had farm related businesses. So I certainly learned about business and about taking care of customers and about knowing what the most important work is. So I learned some of those things, you know, like, for example, if you have animals to feed, if you don't feed them, they're not going to live, right? So it doesn't matter how busy you are doing something else at certain times of the year, there's certain things that have to happen. And I think a lot of business people, a lot of leaders sometimes get lost uh, I was having a conversation on my podcast today with someone uh, and we were talking about focus. And he said, if you've got five goals, you've got no goals. 
And I think he's exactly right. So one of the things I learned was what's the most important work? What's the most important work when? But my folks were young when I was born. So in many ways, I feel like I grew up with my mom and dad. And so to my dad's great credit, I had a lot of responsibility at a young age and he toted me around. So I had the chance to hang out with him when he was at the bank talking to the bank president. I had the chance to hang out with him when he was selling products or talking to other farmers. I had the chance to see him in leadership roles and I had the chance to have work delegated to me and the chance to work with, uh, make decisions with customers at a young age as well. So farm, farm businesses, small town, all of those things I think played a huge role in who I became, not only in terms of wanting to have a business, right? Mm -hmm. But having some very clear pictures and values about what I wanted that business to look like. Thank you for sharing. And I love that whole part of if you're focusing on five things, you're not focusing on anything. And also it's a question of not what you do, when. When you now look back at your dad in those early days of his professional life career, what was his one focus and what was his biggest leadership trait? Well, his focus as a farmer was doing the work he loved. And I think that one of his strengths was doing the work that he loved. So I would say that as a leader, it's helpful for us all to help our team members find the work that they love or help them find the love in the work that they're doing first. And then the second thing I would say about my dad is that he was not afraid to delegate. He was not afraid to do anything, but he was happy to give things away to people once he, he'd earned trust. And again, I, I can't imagine growing up in any other way and having the chance to do things with huge impact on our bottom line slash family income from ages far younger than, you know, at the age when some people are thinking about letting their kids take out the garbage, I was taking, I was doing things that had a whole lot more impact than that. We'll just leave it at that. I love that. I love that. And to me, I think taking responsibility and given give, you give, being given that responsibility, that's the way you started evolving. So now I just am very curious, like from American Red Cross to Chevron to John Deere, Purdue, wide variety of companies. As you go through, what are some common threads of leadership or leadership opportunities that you see through this whole spectrum of mega brands totally away from each other? Yeah, it's really interesting because every, every organization we work with around the world, everyone thinks their business is different right? Well, and so they'll say, well, have you worked with lawyers? Well, have you worked with doctors? Well, have you worked with engineers? Well, have you worked in a refinery? Well, have you worked with retail? And everyone wants to start with the fact that their business is different. And the reality is, it's about 95% the same, because it's all about people. Our businesses are populated with people, people doing the work, building the products, selling the products, People are our customers, whether we call them customers or students or patients. At the end of the day, we're dealing with human beings and human systems. Mm -hmm. And there's far, far, far more the same than different. And I think that one of the things perhaps that's helped us be successful is that we are open to recognizing and understanding the needs that people have to see or feel that they're different mm -hmm. and to try to customize solutions based on that. But knowing that the universal timeless principles of related to 
how we learn, how we think, how we communicate, how we interact, how we collaborate, I really do, how we lead, really do have far more of the same, far more in common than being different. And I love that human core because at the end, I love the emphasis on teams. And what you said a second back was helping people find love in what they do and love what they do. You know, at Zen Mango, one of the things over the years, what I learned is we are all in the the feeling business. You know, you are a human, I'm a human. Think if we were kids and I used to bully you and you didn't feel good, you wouldn't play with me. You wouldn't be my friend anymore because we have a natural propensity to hang out with people who like us, who respect us, who make us feel better about who we do. And that is that broad overall commonality that we have in life that I think we can build on. So as you started going through, what are some common pitfalls? I don't want it to be specific to any industry. I respect all these businesses, but some common pitfalls that leaders fall in that prevent them from achieving true potential greatness. Well, how long do we have? There's a long list of things. Let me, let me give a few things that leaders, mistakes that leaders make. Common pitfalls that leaders make is number one, they focus on communication as about what they've said or what they've sent. Message communication is not message sent. Communication is message sent, message received, message understood. And so every organization I've ever worked in, even highly, highly successful ones, will say, man, we could have better communication around here, whether that's at the highest levels across the organization or whether that's uh, across the team or whether that's leader to team, everyone would say we could be better at communicating. And it's not because we're not saying stuff or sending stuff. It's because we're not spending enough time thinking about, did they receive it effectively? So I would say one of the pitfalls that leaders fall into is that we don't do well enough at communication. And much of it is because we're focused too much on what we're saying and not enough about what they're receiving. There's one pitfall. Another pitfall is that leaders often have been promoted because they were really good at the work, right? I'm a good accountant. Congratulations, I'm the accounting manager, right? I'm a really good engineer. Congratulations, you're the you're the engineering supervisor. I'm a really good on the production line, you're the production supervisor. We could go on and on and on. So what does that tell us as leaders, uh, as new leaders? I'm supposed to be the expert because that's what I was good at. That's what got me promoted. So I need to be the expert. And yet no, none of us would say, I want to have a leader who's a know-it-all. And yet we all feel this mantle of responsibility that we're supposed to know. And so we talk too much and we feel like we're supposed to know. So if we don't know, we try to hide that. Mm-hmm. When what our folks want is a leader that they can know, like, and trust. Back to your point about, I don't want, I don't trust the bully. I'm not going to hang out with the bully. It's not just who I want to be with. It's who I want to be led by people that I know, like, and trust. So we put undue pressure on ourselves Mm -hmm. as leaders to have answers. When sometimes our folks don't need answers, they need our attention. They need our ears. They need us to listen. So there's a common pitfall. And I'll give you one more. We could have a long list, but I'll just give you one more for now. And that is that if I get a group of leaders in the room 
and say, listen, I'll bet all of you have one person on your team that you'd like to fix. You've got one, you've got one person on your team that's not really doing quite as well. You may not want to say that to me. You may not want to tell me who it is, but you've got one. And people will either acknowledge it directly or sheepishly shake their head. And I would say the reason they're not performing, there could be a hundred reasons why they're not performing to where you want them to be. But the most common reason that they're not performing to that level is they don't know what you expect. Mm -hmm. The number one mistake that leaders make in the area of the performance of their team is they haven't set clear expectations or the expectations they've, they've set are far too vague. And so how can I succeed? If I work for you, Arun, how can I succeed if I don't know what you expect? Mm -hmm. If I do, I'm just getting lucky with my guesses. And so another common pitfall that leaders fall into at all levels, not just as new leaders, new supervisors, is setting clear enough expectations and then allowing people to go get it done. And I would go back to the second area that you emphasized is getting promoted. Visualize I was working for you at an entry-level position and you just promoted me and told me, Arjun, one of your coolest strengths is you always come to work on time. So now I may get conditioned by saying, if that's what got me promoted in my next job, I need to come 10 minutes early every day, not realizing, of course, that is important. But in every time I get promoted, you really need to tell me what I do not do to do new things more. And as you were talking about being experts, the thought also came to my mind is this book by Kevin, upcoming book about being an unexpert. Because think for a second, if you and I, you know, none of us are perfect, okay? If we start thinking we are expert, which means we draw a ceiling, that means we hire people less than us. And the whole organization becomes mediocre and worse Right, because my ego defines me. So I really loved what you. We've created about. the ceiling, right? Yeah. So here's the thing: if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room, or you've put the wrong people in the room. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that you're not wise and perceptive and a lot of things. All of us can be those things. But the reality is, if if our and you use the right word, if our ego is keeping us from hiring smart talented people, people that can do stuff that we can't do or have strengths that we don't have, have experiences that would add great value to our team or, or our organization, but that somehow make us feel less. Mm -hmm. We've got to get over that. Our ego as a leader can be a huge detriment to mm -hmm. our long-term success. I have a word over here on my whiteboard right now that says, be healthily humble. And we can be confident and humble. Mm -hmm. Right. But if we are overconfident, if we are cocky, right, if we are arrogant, we're missing the boat. And not only will we not put the right people on the team, but we'll repel the best people yeah. as well. So now I want to go to this concept of chief potential officer. It's really fascinating because when I started reading this, I started realizing you know, even though it's a cliche, it's all about how big your vision is, how big you think your potential is. If I max myself at 70 percentile, I'm not going to even hit 30 or 40. So it's maximizing potential is key. So where did this concept of chief potential officer come to you that you have put your whole consulting around that big promise? 
there's sort of two reasons. There's the marketing reason that says I wanted a title that no one else had. And since it's my company, I can call myself whatever I want. So there's a marketing reason. And I wanted I wanted something people would remark on. And you're the latest in a line of people that have done that. So part of it was that straight mm-hmm. up. I mean, if there wasn't such a job as chief learning officer, that's would have been what I would have picked. But since there are already chief learning officers, I picked chief potential officer. I've never found another one. And but beyond that, that sort of glib answer it is the fact that I believe that as a leader, we are in the potential business. And I believe that in our business, uh, where we work with leaders around the world, and that that we are in the business of helping people see, realize, and unleash their potential. And so that word potential means a lot in our organization. And so it made sense to to use it in my title. And mission accomplished. I got another person to ask me about it. Absolutely. I just had to ask. And that to me is the brilliance of marketing is promise made, promise kept. The first part was when I read it, it intrigued me. I had to ask. But then if you couldn't connect it to a deliverable that only Kevin can make credibly, then I would have like, ah, like really, man, come on. Like I would have felt disappointed. Like, so to me, I really love the way you build on promise made and keep promises. So I want to take the chief potential officer to a different level that over the last 27 years, because I can tell the number 27 because of my daughter's age very clearly, you've had a lot of success of taking brands to potentials, individuals to potentials. So can you talk about, without going into proprietary details, like one of the coolest moments when a brand or an individual reaches the potential, what does it make Kevin feel to take somebody where he or she wouldn't have gone without Kevin? Well, I appreciate the question. And, you know, I think that the important thing for me to keep in mind in the work that we do is that I hope that we can be uh, an impetus, a encouragement, an enlightenment, an education, and all those things. But at the end of the day, none of those things will happen for people because of us, but because of themselves, the choices that they make, the habits that they change, the skills that they apply. And so we feel a sense of satisfaction and a sense of mission accomplished when people feel like they've reached a place that they will say things like, we wouldn't have got, couldn't have gotten there without you. And I always say, thank you, of course, but reflect back to them that they did the work. Mm-hmm. Right. Someone will say, and I've had people say, your book changed my life. And I will say, thank you, but no, you did. Now, if there's something in the book that led you to a new choice, that led you to an insight or an understanding, awesome. That's why we wrote it. Right. That's why we did the work that we did to make it happen. But ultimately, it's all about the person making those choices or the organization making those choices. And so we're always gratified and satisfied and, and feel like that's why we're here. But we recognize that at the end of the day, others did the work. And to me, again, I would go back to a two-step process that you earlier pointed to what you have written about humility. Most people claim to be humble, but it's walking the talk that matters and the graciousness with which you reflected the credit back 
Now, the truth is, you were the catalyst that started the change. Without that, most of us wouldn't have even dreamt of it, seen it, achieved it. But in our moment of excitement, when you make me feel good by saying, Arjun, it's you, now what you're doing is you're setting me up for future success working with Kevin. And that's really fascinating. Well, so think about it this way. Like there's a difference between an idea and an innovation, right? So perhaps we are an impetus. Perhaps we are the starting point. But the hard work doesn't, you know, it's not about the idea. Like pretty much everyone I've ever asked this question, have you ever seen a product that you thought of before it came out? Sure. Well, the idea is only the work comes after the idea, right? So that's really what I'm saying is, yes, I think being healthily humble says, yeah, there's a part that we played, but being healthily humble says that we played a small part. Maybe it was an integral part. Maybe it was an early part, but ultimately something that it wasn't only what we did. So I say that with a little smirk, but I'll humbly disagree because having somebody with your experience on my side in my journey is more than a little role. And let's just keep it right there. You are amazing. And let's move on to your book. Your book, what was the purpose of the book? And what is the one takeaway you wanted people to have based on the book? Well, I, I, I think we're talking about The Long Distance Teammate, which is the newest book. And we finished the book before we all went home to work, <laughs> you know, before COVID sent everybody home. In fact, in fact, we turned in the manuscript for the long distance teammate just about the time that um, lockdowns happened and all those sorts of things. And so the big idea of the book became more important to more people after that. And I would say here's there's two really big ideas in the book. The first one is this. There's a big difference between working from home and being an effective member or an effective long distance teammate. Like, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I have. I've asked people for the last 30 years, what do you do for a living? And people would tell me what they did. But in the last year or so, if you ask people what they do for a living, about a third of them tell me, well, I work from home. No one before ever answered that question by saying I work in the office. The point is, when people frame their work as I work from home, their work is now insular, their work is now individual and independent, and they've lost touch with the fact that they're a part of something bigger than themselves and they're a member of a team. So the first thing is to help people see that there's a difference and that being a team member is something more important and more valuable, not only to them personally, but to that team and to the organization. And the second thing is in the title, it says, stay engaged. And we are on a crusade, even though in the business that we're in, lots of consultants and speakers talk about engagement and what leaders need to do to create employee engagement. And I would say that largely, while there are things leaders can do, at the end of the day, engagement is a choice that every individual makes. Mm -hmm. So we try to, in this book, help people to proactively say, I can be engaged in my work. I will choose to be engaged in my work. Here's how to do that. And when I do that, here are the great results that I will get, whether I work at a distance or if I might be going back into the office part of the time in the future. So thanks for asking about the book. Uh, We're really pleased with how it's doing. And uh, and people can learn more by going to longdistanceteammate.com. And they even get a sample chapter there. So longdistanceteammate.com. Correct. Got it. So I want to go back now to you as a leadership coach. You and I both know the world has too many coaches. 
nearly every person becomes a coach. And I say that with a smirk. The world doesn't need another coach, but the world needs you. So what's the unique niche that Kevin, the leadership coach, brings that makes you not in a category of one of few, but one of one? Well, you know, I think that one of the things that I bring to the table is that I've been leading a team for over a decade. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a practice. I have a business. So I have a team of folks spread out across the United States and coaches and leaders, excuse me, trainers that work with us in other countries as well. So what I bring is a practical approach to knowing what it means to lead. So I have walked a mile in the shoes of the person that I'm coaching. But hopefully what I bring beyond that are really good questions and the willingness to help them be accountable. Some coaches want to bring advice. Mm -hmm. Some coaches want to only bring questions. I think going to either end of that spectrum is less than helpful. I believe that the right answer is to find the medium between that. The right answer is to give advice when needed, but far more often to help people discover what they need to learn for themselves and to be working toward their leadership goals every day and every week. So if I'm working with someone as their coach, we know what goals that they have. I know what goals that they're trying to reach through our coaching engagement, and we're trying to help them get there every day. It's not like this is separate from the rest of my work. It's how do I get better as I do my work? That's the way we go at it. And also, I think it's important to have a coach, as you said, walked a mile in your shoes and has the real experience of being in the trenches, doing things, being successful, failing, and then turning failure into success. Yeah, making mistakes at least as much as succeeding, right? Absolutely. 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 And to me, that's the part where if I was a quarterback going into a Super Bowl, I not only want to have a coach who won a Super Bowl, I also want to have a coach who was there, but missed it just because, because those two are amazing wisdom that you have. Now, yeah. I was just going to say this, that, you know, there are lots of people, and, and you made the comment with the smirk uh, that there's lots of coaches and there are of all sorts and and. There are also lots of people say, I don't need a coach. Mm -hmm. But if you look at top performers in any field, you mentioned athletics, we could use music, we could use performing arts, we could use art, we could use chess, we could use leadership. Mm -hmm. Like the top performers in any endeavor have coaches. And so I think that's important to remember for us, especially if we're feeling some resistance to that idea ourselves. And I want to add to that, as I worked with one of the top golfers of all times, what I learned is this gentleman, he puts in 12 to 15 hours a day practicing to maintain his skills and enhancing the skills. He feels practice is useless unless it is purposeful practice with feedback. And that's the reason he needs that outside in point of view. Yes. Who can prevent him from making unnecessary changes that will distract him, but only to make the right changes and build on to be better tomorrow. And, and, to, re and to reinforce what's already working. 
Right? Yes, totally. And that's the part where he felt that the bad coach or lack of a coach, he will tweak the easy things to tweak that doesn't need to be. Because one of the coolest things I learned is in business and politics, we work on problems that do not exist, which are easy to work on. <laughs> and as you are talking about, I started looking at is the importance of a coach and understanding that I need a coach to get to the next level is one of the big things for leaders. So now let's take go to a lighter side is on your website, you talk about that life and work both should be fun. And if you're doing it right, work is a form of play. I love that. What do you mean? Like, I just want to hear from you, your words. What do you mean work is a form of play? Listen, if we're doing work that we care about, mm-hmm. if we do, we're doing work that we're committed to, that's part of being human, mm-hmm. right? There's a time and a place for leisure. I like some time off as much as the next person. But at some point we were put on this planet to do something valuable, to do something meaningful, to make a difference. And when that's happening, it's fun. And if it's not, we've found the wrong thing. Work is play. Work done well should be play. That doesn't, and and because here's the other thing. So many people say work equals hard. I don't want everything to always to be hard. Work will be hard sometimes. Life will be hard sometimes. That's okay, but doesn't mean it is all of the time. Don't make hard a synonym for work because it shouldn't be all the time. With all your wisdom, if you could go back in time and meet that young Kevin who is getting ready to graduate from high school and you get a chance to just get through one piece of advice to that kiddo, what would you tell him? You know, it's funny that you say that because I think – It's like 41 years tomorrow or something like that was actually commencement as it turns out. So it's it's really funny that you ask that you ask that question. I would say as a human, I would say be more grateful and gracious as a business owner. I would say start writing sooner. Brilliant. So let's say we get a chance to talk again in 10 years. The year is 2031. Where would Kevin Brand be? Well, I hope that our brand is going to continue to grow and to help us continue to reach our mission, which is to help as many leaders as we can make as big a possible positive difference in the world. So my belief is that 10 years from now, I might be better known, but only because of the work that we've done, not that as an outcome, not as the purpose. And so if we achieve the, the strategies, if we make pro- the progress that we want to make in 10 years, we will have helped more leaders and more teams get better results and create a better world. That's fascinating. So it's a great conversation. Of course, we can go on for days and hours you know, more. But I think you know, as we bring this conversation to an end, what do you want listeners to know that we haven't talked about, but you really want to share? Well, you know, the title of your show is Secrets to Win Big. And I I would just say this, winning big means different things to different people. And so the secret that I would share for all of you is to figure out what winning means to you. And once you figure out what that means to you, you have something to create a true focus. And that is a secret to winning big. Thank you. That was such a beautiful, incredible, and to this fascinating conversation. Thank you, Kevin. What you took me back to a movie that both of us may remember, City Slickers, in which Jack Palace 
teased us all through the movie by telling Billy Crystal, putting his finger out by it's about the one thing. And poor Billy Crystal wanted to know what was the one thing. And Jack Paris had to say, it is for you to figure out what your one thing is. And what I also remember, it's like how old I'm getting, is Jack Palace, when he won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, he came on stage and did one-handed push-ups just to showcase what he's made out of, what an amazing human being. But I love the message of the one thing for each one of us to figure out. Thank you for sharing. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you all for listening to this absolute fascinating conversation. There are incredible nuggets. But the one big thing is, it is what is your one thing and when do you need to do it? Because what alone doesn't work, the when is very important. Looking forward to bringing you another conversation with another fascinating leader from another part of the world, another walk of life. Till then, stay safe. Happy listening. You've been listening to Secrets to Win Big with Arjun Sen, founder and CEO of Zen Mango top brand growth driver, and a former Fortune 500 executive who has been called one of the most marketing intelligent minds in the business. To learn more, visit www.zenmango.com. Share this podcast with your friends and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.